Hello, and welcome to the Jill Cruz podcast. This is Jill Cruz. And today I have an extremely special gift for you. I mean, this this episode is, it's absolutely incredible. I speak with Shannon Black, and she is a mental health counselor in Tennessee. We go into, you know what, I don't even know where to start. We go into such cool and interesting stuff around the nervous system and how stress and trauma creates an imprint in the nervous system and then you know we create memories around that and so we we create these these mental templates and and the trauma gets kind of stuck in our physical bodies and then it, it directs our behavior right for life so uh, talking about the neuroscience and how what happens when we're in that stress state the systems in the body that are affected by that and what happens with trauma and how we create the memory in our minds. We even talk about how that memory is created on different levels, the physical level, the emotional, the narrative level, and how we can actually recreate those memories. And it's called memory reconsolidation, which is uh, something that Shannon does with her clients. So we talked about somatic therapy and really healing the body and going back, you know, it's not enough just to get some talk therapy and talk about it. Uh, This stuff lives in our bodies and it doesn't matter what degree of trauma you've experienced. I think we've all had some degree of trauma. So this is relevant to everybody. So it's not enough just to get therapy and talk about it. We have to go into the body and into the emotions. And what she talks about, which is so fascinating, is that that original event, we have a memory of that event and it gets distorted over time. And we can actually go back and, and like I said, kind of rewrite that story. And without doing that, healing, fully healing from the trauma is going to be very, very challenging. I don't know if it's impossible or not. I'm not the expert, but (laughs) I'm just saying it sounds like this is very important. This is an an amazing episode. You have to listen. You have to. And actually, like I said, I'm going to listen to this probably two or three times myself. I'm excited about it. I'm excited that you're here. And I really think you're going to get so much out of it. Hello, Shannon. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I know. I know. We already just had some really good conversation. And I, w- I wanted to start to kind of kick off the conversation by you You mentioned that trauma lives in the body. And mm-hmm. I think we both agree that oftentimes people hear that and they go, what does that mean? Like, is that really true? That sounds a little woo-woo, but we, we actually know that it it's not. There's a physiological response that's going on here. Can, can you talk a little bit about what that means when you say trauma lives in the body? Sure. It's, it's really a, a big topic and it's been talked about a lot. I think the way that I, as, at least in the trauma industry, um, we talk traumatology, we talk about a lot how trauma is stored in the body. And so it can be anything from like a fight or flight response that we didn't get to play out. So there's some tension left over. Like if we were in a situation where we couldn't run and we couldn't um, fight back and we just kind of got stuck, that impulse to move and to get away is stored in the body and it, it needs to kind of be reactivated to find release. So it stores in our muscles and our fascia, 
We also have neurochemical pathways that get set up in response to trauma that form kind of templates in our head for how we react to situations. And those become kind of generalized across time and space for us. So if we had a an early experience where something um, was frightening and we turned away, let's say it's kind of how phobias get formed. Like, um, you know, we have a, a scary experience with a dog, for instance, and we get the instinct to run. That template gets stored in the body and maybe generalized across other animals or even the thought of an animal might cause us to have this kind of want to run response with our adrenaline and cortisol kicking in. So trauma gets stored in lots of different ways, but the main two ways I focus on are the kind of actions we didn't get to complete in the moment And then the templates that our brain kind of stores up unconsciously for how we're going to react in every situation moving forward. So our brain is really built on our experiences and our relationships. And so in my practice, um, I focus with my clients on healing those experiences, putting them back where they belong in the past and not in the present, and then how to heal our relationships with ourselves and with other people. Okay. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's very interesting. And and I have to say that what was, it's been a busy morning for me and I can feel my nervous system kind of jacked up more than it may have been typical for me a year ago, but I've done a lot of, I practice something called dynamic meditation and you probably Mm -hmm. are familiar with that idea. And one of the things that I learned was that while I'm meditating, I can kind of program my brain or create these templates, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, Mm -hmm. in my brain, the opposite, right, To, to relax. So when I'm relaxed, I have a little physical trigger that I do where I'm imprinting in my brain that it signals relaxation for me. So I, I press yeah. together my three, my thumb with my two fingers there, and then you can see me, maybe people listening can't, but in any yeah. case, it's a little physical um, trigger that I created for myself. And I actually was doing it when you were speaking and I felt this 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 uh, calming of my nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so then I thought, okay, so if stress and trauma can create these templates and these physiological responses, mm-hmm. we could also create new templates. New templates, yes. Yes, absolutely we can. We can create new templates like workarounds, right? And we can also go back into the original template and change it so that it's not there anymore through therapy and things like memory reconsolidation or EMDR Mm -hmm. is um, a common therapy. When that's done really well and we're working with a core memory, we can actually change the template so that we don't have to just lay a new one on top and hope it works. So there are lots of techniques and you're right, like this, I just did it unconsciously, your (laughs) finger movement, this is one of them. So when our a way to calm our dysregulation, when we feel that activation, is to engage the vagal brain. And so our vagus nerve is like the 10th cranial nerve, and it runs from our amygdala, which is our fight or flight center, and it runs down past our ears. It controls which tones we can hear. It controls our voice. So when we feel like we have something to say, but we can't say it, Mm -hmm. our vagus nerve is involved there. It controls our heart rate, our respiration, 
our glucose levels in our liver, it controls our uh, digestion, and it goes down and actually hits kind of the reproductive system as well. So when this nerve is toned and working really good, we can stay in a safe and, and connected physiological state. And I think of it kind of like there's a little break in the middle, like a, a, a break on, the, on a car. And so if this break comes off of the vagus nerve, then we go into the sympathetic nervous system and we experience fight or flight or fawn, which is another way that we might react. I, people are probably very familiar with fight and flight. Mm-hmm. Fawning is where we we lack identity. We don't have good boundaries. We are in, uh, engaging in some codependency. And what that is, is our attempt to find safety by moving toward the danger and by kind of dissociating our real needs and wants, separating ourselves from our real needs and wants. And we kind of just placate the danger. And so that is a response that can happen as well when our vagal break is off. Can you explain a little bit more the vagal break? So this is a nerve, right, that, that is triggered through from your brain and then has this these responses throughout the body. Mm-hmm. So, but normally the break is on, which means yeah. we, you know, when you're in that safe feeling space or you're yes. relaxed and calm, the break is on, meaning it's not stimulating those uh, systems downstream. Is that kind of what you mean by that? I mean, yes, absolutely. It's engaging our social engagement system when the break is on. So it means we have full access to our good thinking brain, our prefrontal cortex, where we can create, collaborate, come up with new ways to engage with people and and to calm down situations. It's like our best self. Mm-hmm. And it's it only exists in mammals. It's part of our newest evolutionary way to deal with danger and connection. So um, when the break is on, we are in that full kind of integrated mode where all of our systems are online and working well, our, our digestion, our heart rate, our blood pressure, our glucose, and, and we're not getting that kind of um, cortisol, adrenaline activation that happens when we're in fight or flight. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good place to be. It's something I try to help my clients build a pathway to because some people haven't really experienced that safe and calm and engaged and social. And that's another way trauma gets stored in the system is by not really having good vagal tone. We didn't have enough experiences with safe people to to help us create a really strong vagal tone. It's like a muscle almost. Mm-hmm. And when it's um, good and strong, the break stays on a lot. But for a lot of us, we lived with a lot of nervous system dysregulation in our early life based on our experiences and our relationships. And so our our normal feels like that activation, that mm-hmm. kind of fight or flight or fawn response. And so when that's normal for us, we may even create kind of drama or situations or chaos in our lives to to kind of try to get back to what feels normal to us. And it's all unconscious. Back to the break analogy. Um, So the break is on. And then when we have a stress, uh, something that we perceive as stress occur, Mm -hmm. 
then the brake is off. And now that nerve is stimulating those um, organs, right? Like the heart or to, to okay, I'm nervous now, I'm scared, I'm, my, I'm, I'm in fight or flight, so I have to be able to run, I have to be able, my heart has to function well, my lungs have to function well, and now the brake is off, so yes. I'm in that stress response state. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but normally, the brake should be on. Mm, and I, ideally, yeah, ideally, and I, I use the example of my dog, you know, uh-huh. because if we look at animals who don't have necessarily as much of that prefrontal engagement, right? Of, of, well, you know, she keeps insulting me every time I go to work. She says rude things to me. You know, dogs don't think like that as much, right? So, yeah. when they're in the stress state, and now the the brakes are off, and they're bar, mm. you know, I have this big ninety five pound dog and he's barking, 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 and his hackles are up. And then the mailman comes and delivers something and he gets a little sniff. And then he's, he kind of flops back over onto the couch and, and just goes to sleep. And it's like, oh, okay. So, so for a moment, the brakes were off, but now the brakes are back on and he's able to fall asleep. And I, I love that analogy of brakes on and off. I never really thought about it that way. You know, the dog my dog is, he's, he's had a good life. Okay. The guy's yeah. had a good life and, and he hasn't had any trauma and his brakes are on 99% of the time. Yeah. But as human beings, ideally, now there is no such thing as probably ideal, but ideally we would have our brakes on yes. 90% of the time or 80, you know, I don't know what yeah. the percentage would be, but our default state should be brakes on yeah, feeling good, feeling creative, feeling social, feeling open, yeah. feeling safe. But because of trauma, for yeah. many of us, right, um, have had trauma and this lack of feeling safe, it's yeah. a double whammy, right? Like the like you said, then our system has kind of gotten almost locked into this breaks off mm-hmm. mode. And that then directs all kinds of behavior that's probably not in our best interest. <laughs> like you said, moving toward the danger. I, I, I remember I read the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Mm, and yeah. he talks about how victims of sexual abuse and, uh, you know, and rape are much more likely, I forget the statistics, but it was a, a very, mm-hmm. very high percentage are then actually repeat victims of sexual mm-hmm. assault. Mm-hmm. So putting yourself into those situations, creating drama in your life. Wow. Wow. Sorry. I just felt like I had to make sure I understood that and, and that other people listening understand that because this is pretty complex stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I tend to, because I do teach as, and I am a little bit of a neuro nerd. I, I do <sighs> tend to um, use maybe uh, more complicated language. I love the fact that you have a story with your dog about it that really can help people understand. And and we all do kind of, if you think about your dog and like when his ears perk up and um, and he notices something, we all have that, like our antenna go up and say, okay, is something happening right now? Right. And if we have a good vagal break, we're going to kind of look around to our friends and say like, is everything okay? Did you notice that noise? And and then we see like, no, we're all good, we're all together and we can, you know, engage our break and be okay. 
when we don't have, this is kind of something I think is very important nowadays, when we don't have those social mirrors of things being okay, and we're kind of um, isolated, left alone in our you know computer screens or alone at home working remotely, we don't have as many of those mirrors to say, oh yeah, everything's okay right now. Mm. And so we're kind of missing out on the social part of our social engagement system. And so for me, um, helping people find those safe attachments, those safe people to be around um, who help our nervous systems stay calm is, is so important. And we know that this, the importance of other people has been scientifically validated through something called the social baseline theory. And I think I can tell you a story about that um, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'd love it. I heard it explained this way, that imagine you were in the hospital, something has happened and you've gone into the hospital and you're kind of in the emergency room and you're not sure what's going on and the doctors are trying to help you, but you're probably pretty tense and afraid. And then your trusted beloved, your person walks in and holds your hand and your body can just like, oh, relax, like I'm safe now. Mm-hmm. That is our natural state. Our natural state is that connected and relaxed way of being. It is metabolically costly for us to regulate our own emotions. So it takes a lot of energy for us to self-regulate, but it takes zero energy for us to be with a trusted beloved and be naturally regulated. And so I think that's really important for people to know in, in a time where I see more people isolating, that having the, the other person's nervous system where we co-regulate each other um, into safety is so important for helping our body keep that vagal break engaged. Wow. Okay. That's, that's incredible. I'm, I'm just thinking for some reason, I'm thinking about my mom because <laughs> yeah, um, I've, you know, during the big, the most intense time of the pandemic, like before the vaccine came out and everything, uh, mm-hmm. she and a lot of people just, just stayed home just simply stayed at home. And some people are lucky enough to have a partner that they love who's in the home. I know there were a lot of domestic violence went up and all of that stuff. So it was terrible. But, you know, if you have someone at home, that's nice. But at the same time, you may need different types of social interaction. And um, I know my mom after, you know, now she goes to yoga a couple of times a week and it's, and she's, she's in a community. Yeah. And so it's not just her husband, but having other women, other women her age, um, yeah. and and just being together. I'm just thinking of an example of, you know, maybe yeah. other people can relate. So I think it sounds like it's really important for us to find these uh, relationships, these these safe yeah. relationships, and, and maybe even, you know, fun or pleasurable <laughs> might be a good... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, play. That's interesting. So like the play state of the nervous system it, it almost feels a little bit like the same energy as fight or flight because we do have that adrenaline kind of going. Um, but if we can have that adrenaline going and have it be playful and fun and with the you know people we trust, like that really attenuates the nervous system. It really helps that break strengthen. It's myelination is the right word, but it just helps the connection so much better to keep it engaged. 
So play is a great way to do it. Uh, Mm -hmm. I have a friend um, who's developed a type of therapy where um, she uses these Kali sticks that are used in Filipino um, martial arts. And instead of using them for fighting, she's using them in a in a playful but still kind of training way to do like these almost patty cake. So you have two sticks, your partner has two sticks, and you tap left mm-hmm. to right, you tap up and down. And what that does is it heals the nervous system with that rhythm and it, it hits our reward center. And we have somebody mirroring us that is um, a safe person. While they're doing this, they're also learning implicitly the martial arts movements. So she works with a lot of survivors of sex trafficking and things like that, people in recovery with addiction to help create like this strong vagus nerve. Because when the brake comes off, that fight or flight is going to make us choose all sorts of templates, right? And kind of without our permission. Right. And like it, right. it feels like it happens without our choice. It's like when you find yourself eating mindlessly the bag of potato chips, it doesn't feel like a choice. It felt like it kind of had to happen or you don't remember making the choice. And that's just because those templates are so old and so unconscious that like this is how I move toward connection or safety. And I think one of the nice things about looking at trauma through the nervous system is that it's non-blaming right? Like, like, of course, we're doing these things. All people at all times, whatever the behaviors are, are trying to move towards safety or toward connection. And so we can even be more compassionate with people and see their behaviors. They're, you know, are particularly unconscious. They're trying to do something to find safety or connection. Okay. And, and to kind of help the nervous system, the nervous system is going to prompt them to go back to whatever's normal for them based on their experiences and relationships growing up. And so if normal is fight or flight, like we're going to try the body and brain are going to move toward that because mm-hmm. it, it's not a conscious choice. So I, I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people listening to the podcast are struggling with weight, their weight and Can you talk a little bit about obesity? I mean, I've had my friend and colleague who's a a weight management physician, and we talked about, and I'm sure you know this at this point, that obesity is a medical condition. It's not a personality flaw, (laughs) like we've been led to believe in our popular culture. And we talked about trauma a little bit and how, you know, she sees so much in her practice, and I see it too, uh, how trauma is often part of that multifactorial process that leads yeah. to this this uh, this state of obesity. And I'm yeah. just wondering if you could comment on that, um, how you think trauma, I don't want to say cause obesity, but be a, be a particular causal. causal factor that could contribute to it. Oh, I think of course it can, because anytime we're talking about the endocrine system, which I don't know why that's what comes to mind, but I think cortisol, I mm-hmm. think cortisol, mm-hmm. you know, kind of making us grab fat, you know, have trouble letting go of fat, being in that state of that sympathetic overload all the time, the fight or flight, causing us to seek any, unconsciously seek any kind of sense of uh, reward, right? So the brain is always going to try to reach for like, what can I do to feel better? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I feel terrible. What can I do to feel better? And it's going to choose fatty, sweet, salty, 
things because th- those are the things that reward our system. And I say the brain chooses it because it really happens below our level of conscious thinking. Mm-hmm. It, the, the movement toward the fridge happens below our level of thinking a lot of the time. Trauma can also make us um, live in our head where we don't even, when our body's been um, under attack, we might not feel like our body's a safe place to be. And so we don't want to be in it. And so we might just ignore hunger or um, fullness signs, our leptin and our ghrelin, those chemicals that regulate uh, when to eat and when to stop eating um, are highly affected by our nervous system. Our body can get really out of regulation. And if we're not paying attention to it, then it it kind of pops back at us and mm-hmm. says, well, I'll give you something to pay attention to. Wow. So I can, those are the things that come to mind when I think about about that when we're in survival mode and and class and poverty have a lot to do with this too, like the foods that are available to us, um, where we live, what's inexpensive. I remember a long time ago, uh, I've been in recovery from alcohol for uh, 12 years, but a long time ago um, when I was working and fairly impoverished before I ever went to grad school and became a counselor, I had about $5 a week to eat on and I was, I was working every day, but that's just paying rent in Nashville uh, Mm -hmm. and trying to make it. So I would go get a $1 um, cheeseburger from um, McDonald's because it was a dollar then. And, uh, and that would be, you know, my meal for the day. Um, So when we're in survival mode and and when we are having trouble with resources, we're really going to go for whatever's going to, kind of give us the highest fat content because the body thinks, well, we're, we're in, we're in survival mode. I need to stay alive. I need to store, you know, all this as fat so that, you know, if, if we really don't have anything next week, I can pull on my fat stores. Right. And so there's a lot of, I'm sure, well, as you know, yeah. Evolutionary reasons for why we might hold on to fat as well. Yeah. Okay. But being in survival mode is, yeah, so so we have the uh, cortisol that's promoting fat storage, and you know raising our blood sugar, raising our insulin, promoting mm-hmm. fat storage, blocking fat burning. We have mm-hmm. this uh, source of comfort, and I've, I've had a podcast episode about this where I talked all about how you know food doesn't ask for anything in return. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's very, and I even talked about how like as women we give so much. And, you know, it is this one thing that does not ask anything in return of us. And so we can easily go to that. And and as you mentioned, we go to it even without thinking oftentimes, right? We're seeking out that comfort. And then we also have you know, these hormones, leptin and ghrelin and, you know, these, these hormones that are going to, and insulin, of course, promotes hunger as well. So, you know, we, (laughs) we have a lot of things going on, all of the things that you mentioned, not wanting to be with our bodies. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot going on that, that makes it very hard. And the the other thing I was thinking of is, and we also have these corporations, which are profit, Mm -hmm. completely profit driven and don't, really care about the individual at all, you know, going into brainstorming sessions and labs to create these foods that are so appealing. They know that our brain is seeking out that fat and that salt and that sugars. And I mean, you know, that's what our brain wants. Even MSG tells the brain that protein is coming in. 
right? Yeah. So we, w- the brain is looking for sustenance and fuel. As a nutritionist, I'm totally fascinated by this stuff. But um, yeah. the brain remembers, oh, that cheeseburger mm-hmm. or that Big Mac, whatever it is, you know, it's checking all the, the boxes. So mm-hmm. I'm going to want that and, and crave mm-hmm. that. And thank you for sharing your story. That is very challenging. And I'm sorry that you went through that. That's really tough. Mm. Well, I was just going to say, I'm not sorry. Um, mm. and, and, I'm, and so I just wanted to kind of put a different spin on it because every experience I have makes me available to better em- empathize and, and understand my clients' experiences. So yeah. like, yeah, it was definitely difficult going through it. There certainly were many more difficult things in my history. Even when I had my first panic attack, I was like, once I got past thinking I was dying in the emergency room, um, I was like, oh, this is what my clients go through. So now I totally can relate. And it's so important um, finding ways that we're alike, you know, rather than where we're different. And I just, in this kind of polarized age. (laughs) Yeah anything we can do to relate to others or to see our circumstances as having a purpose, I think is, is helpful. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. I, I call it the big, the big, beautiful lesson or lessons. Yeah. And in, in any situation, you know, I really encourage myself and others to, to find that lesson. And you, you know, when you're in it, you might not want to think about yeah. that at all, but no, no. <laughs> especially if your nervous system, if the brakes are, um, off and your nervous system is yeah. jacked up. But I feel the same way about everything that I've yeah. gone through in my life that, oh, yeah. oh, wow, that was a lesson, you know, even like little things, because I'm, I'm really getting into that mindfulness, like throughout the day. And, yeah. you know, today I was driving, I'm having issue with my Bluetooth in my car to my music and the Bluetooth went off and I really wanted to listen to this song. I was like in the middle of listening to this great song. And then it went off and I was like, oh, gosh, that was unlucky. And then I thought, but you know what, what, what lesson is here for me today? Even yeah. something as small as that. And then yeah. I said, you know what? The lesson I feel like for me right now is that sometimes things don't go in my way. Yeah. And and that's yeah. okay. And that's okay. Yeah. Like, can I do something else? Can I just, you know, look out, you know, focus on driving and, and be silent and not have music? And then as soon as I had that thought, the, the Bluetooth started working. <laughs> yeah, and the music like- came back on. And I was like, okay, I learned that lesson for today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a yeah. small example. But I think if we can have this this wonderful attitude when we can of, yeah. of, of learning. Yeah. Yeah, at least in hindsight. Yeah, uh, yeah, certainly in hindsight. And and um, I know we. I want to wind down because we're already mm-hmm. a little bit past the time. But I I did want to just revisit briefly, if we can, because I'm thinking, you know, someone who's had trauma, and a lot of people who are listening probably work with therapists. You are an incredible. You have an incredible about amount of knowledge about biology, biochemistry, nor- neurobiology, uh, hormones. It's it's wonderful. Like I highly recommend if anybody's in Nashville or Tennessee to go see you. And I know you weren't here to to make a plug for yourself, but I, I did no. want to say that that um I, I know a lot of uh, I've talked to a lot of psychotherapists and it's wonderful to add the neuroscience aspect mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. It's it's so so helpful. Just briefly, can you talked about the trauma going back and going back into that moment. And in my mind, I translate that to changing the story. And I I listened to this book, I can't even remember the name, years and years ago. And he talked about how you could go back to the situation and literally retell the story. 
Like mm-hmm. the story in your head is, has been this way for the past 40 years, but you could actually go back and yes. recreate the scene and recreate the story. And I'm not a psychotherapist, so I might be botching this up, but you mentioned EMDR and other therapies. I just, if you could just mention that, because maybe there are people who haven't done that. They're, they're yeah. trying to recreate these uh, templates, like you said, on top of the original template, which still remains. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Sorry, yeah. that was a long way to ask a short question, but <laughs> no, it's, and it's one of my favorite topics because I always want to to give people the most lasting change, the most permanent change that we can. So when a memory gets created, it has three parts that have to be online: uh, our narrative part of what happened, the emotional uh, feeling of what happened during that time. And then the physical sensation of what happened during that time. And if all three of those are not online in our brain, we're going to get an incomplete memory. So we may just have a, a, a sensation and not know where it comes from. Or we might have a story but not feel like it happened to us um, because we're not you know, able to recall the emotion of something. So that's when, when we disintegrate a little bit in our heads, when we're, when the break is off, we're not recording properly mm-hmm. with those three yeah. things online of narrative and emotion and sensation. So we might have these little pieces of trauma that don't really have a place to land and kind of free float in our nervous system as anxiety or um, another emotion. And so uh, I just kind of wanted to to ground us in that. But when you have a memory, it gets uploaded. How I, in whatever form we record it, it gets uploaded kind of to our storage banks, our long-term memory. And then every time we download it, it's at risk of being changed. Like sometimes we don't remember things properly over time and we think something happened that didn't happen or we're sure that you know, the Challenger blew up in 1986 and it wasn't that year or whatever. Um, People call that a certain kind of effect. I can't remember. But every time we download a memory, it's vulnerable to being altered. Um, We might get more information from other people. We might have something else happening that gets kind of stuck in that memory. And when it gets uploaded, the next time we recall it, it's going to be that last upload. So anytime we're remembering something, we're actually downloading the last time we remembered it. And so our memories can be a, a little bit botchy um, that way, and which is honestly good because it's vulnerable to changing in positive ways as well. So if we can download a memory with the physical sensation, if it's there with the emotion that was there, with the narrative that was there, we can add something in there like a resource I have a client who was remembering, I won't go into detail because it could be triggering, but was remembering a traumatic incident as a child. And uh, I said, I wonder, I wonder what you really needed there to help you get through that scary situation. Like, who would you need there with you? And they said, well, Spider-Man. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's bring Spider-Man in. What does Spider-Man do? And, you know, Spider-Man gets the bad guy, wraps him up in his net, throws him away, can't ever come back. And so now over the next five hours, when that memory gets reconsolidated and re-uploaded, like our new Spider-Man resources in there. And so the next time they download that memory, that Spider-Man resources in there. And so when you say we can change the story, that's what's happening is we're kind of in a 
simplistic way, we're adding elements that you really needed that allow us to have a disconfirming experience where what we thought was going to happen didn't happen for Mm -hmm. the first time. So So narrative, emotional, physical. So that's more of like a narrative type of thing or maybe emotional. Can you add in physical stuff? Sure. sure. Okay. Wow. So if we download the memory and we couldn't fight back then, but say I'm in a session with a client and while they're remembering something, their hand starts quivering. And I say, what do you want to do with that hand? Do you want to punch? And and she said, yes, I want to punch. And I said, well, let's do that movement. Let's mm-hmm. punch them away. Let's you know, get out of the situation. And wow. so actually, so that moves trauma, helps us release the trauma, that movement so when we get re-uploaded, when that memory gets re-uploaded, we have a feeling of having completed the action that we couldn't complete back then. Wow, that's incredible. I, I feel like, Shannon, I could literally just talk to you all day. And I, <laughs> I know you have other stuff that you have to do, and I do too. But I, this is so fascinating because what came to my mind is, you know, narrative, emotional, physical. I was wondering about spiritual you sure. know, can you rewrite these story as part of the process in a spiritual aspect as well? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. No, there there are many aspects. So Dan Siegel, um, who who kind of came up with interpersonal neurobiology, talks about transinspirational that there's a part of our brain that is um, kind of connects everything and connects outside to a you know, like a a greater source of power, wisdom, Mm -hmm. um, or healing. And so certainly I think that that many of us use healing or recovery in a spiritual way. We can introduce anything into our memories that we needed back then. And so it, it could absolutely, spirituality should be part of, if you have a spiritual practice, there's no reason that shouldn't be part of your therapy. Like your therapist should be able to include those elements. That's amazing. I, I had a, a trauma client really quick who is um, pagan. And so she wanted to do a spell for trauma. And I was like, absolutely. If you have a trauma spell, let's do it, you know? Yeah. And uh, and so we therapists, you know, should be able to work with any kind of spiritual. Now, do you have, just because you're in Tennessee and um, someone might be listening in New York or New Jersey or California, do you have a specific type of training? Because honestly, I've, I have not really ever heard, well, I have maybe for a couple of people heard this integration that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I know there are lots of therapists out there. Is there a specific yeah. training that you've had that you could say, well, you know, maybe you could find somebody who's similar in New Jersey. Is it specific or is it just you going out there going, I'm a neural nerd, yes. I'm, I'm a this nerd and I'm just, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. So there's I'm only afraid- one Shannon. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid it is. I, I really wanted to, wanted to be able to not sound woo-woo to my clients about why breath work works, yeah. uh, you know, like why these things work. I wanted to know why it does and I'm very curious. I, I wanted to tell your listeners a really quick way to engage the vagal break when they need to is to just make their exhale longer than their inhale. So like in for four, out for eight is is always very good. Um, but, you know, I hope to, I, I do consulting with the stick work, the Kali Connection Therapy. I consult with her and she offers trainings. Her name is Mara Giovanni. And, and anybody who's interested in talking about memory reconsolidation or, you know, somatic work with clients, 
that involves kind of completing these things. Peter Levine does a very good somatic training. Bruce Ecker has a very good coherence therapy manual. Uh, there's so many okay. therapists, but if, if they write me, I can always give them resources from what I've read and studied and learned and practiced. Thank you. That's wonderful, Shannon. Yeah. So the memory reconsolidation and the somatic healing yeah. are two big things, I think. Yeah. That, and then the neuroscience aspect of it, which I guess is part of all of that. But Dan Siegel, yeah. Yeah, Dan Siegel. Yeah. So this is great. Thank you for those resources. There's so many. Alan Shore. Yeah. <laughs> There's like... Lou Casolino. There's just a whole bunch of people that you can go find and learn from. Mm -hmm. And then you can sort of tap into their the practitioners who've been trained under them. Wonderful. I, I really appreciate that, Shannon, because this is really good stuff. I took a ton of notes. <laughs> and I'm going to listen to this podcast multiple times. Uh, hint, yeah. hint, for those of you who are listening, I suggest you listen to it a couple of times if it's, if it's you know, if this is of interest to you, because yeah. I think it's really, really important. And it just feels so hopeful. You know, it feels mm -hmm. like people yeah. who've, who've experienced terrible trauma and people who've, you know, we all have a certain degree of trauma. It doesn't have to be, you know, the, the a terribly, terribly traumatic experience mm -hmm. for us to have, to feel like we've had trauma. And the fact that we can go back in and kind of recreate this memory reconsolidation is um, yeah. wonderful. Well, yeah. And on, on that note, I'll just give them a quick um, overview of what me and some other people define trauma as, which is trauma is anything that happens that's too much too soon, too much for too long, or too little for too long mm -hmm. without a safe attachment and secure attunement. So anything that has happened in your life where you've been overwhelmed and not had somebody to help you calm down, that can be stored in your body in what we call a traumatic way. Wow. Okay. So, Thank you for that definition. Again, uh, listeners, you're probably going to need to listen to that twice. <laughs> I know I will. <laughs> I really appreciate you today. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you so much. I hope to talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Wasn't that amazing? Oh my gosh, what an incredible, incredible conversation. Shannon is just, I mean, she is, I'm, I'm a groupie now of Shannon Black. <laughs> uh, so she is a clinical mental health therapist. She is also an educator, a consultant, and she, as you can tell from, from our conversation, is really involved in helping people heal from trauma and you know, be in a safe environment and create a life that is positive and connected and feeling safe. And and I think that's going to lead to confidence and happiness. Check out Shannon. Her website is healbravehearts.com. And she is in Tennessee. So if you're in Tennessee, reach out to her if you would like. Although I think her, her practice is definitely full and, and thriving at the moment. And if you have any questions or you would like to maybe in your area find somebody who does similar work, uh, Shannon said, feel free to reach out to her. So that was very generous and kind of her to say that. That was awesome. And it's totally aligned with the, the stuff that we do with our clients, which is, you know, working through things like being healthy and being confident and moving through life with ease is an inner job. It's an inner job. And yes, we need wonderful, amazing people like Shannon and we need outside inspiration and guidance and support. But we also have to commit to 
taking that action, right? To developing new habits, new thought processes. Because it's, it's not going to happen just by, nobody's going to do it for us. And it's not just going to happen magically. So uh, I invite you to take action. Join us. If you are interested in losing weight in a healthy, sustainable way, if you're interested in figuring out your hormones as you're going through menopause, if you're interested in high performance, uh, I like to call it health-driven high performance. All of these things and more, we help women be healthy to live your best life, to feel fabulous, to have fun and play like we talked about, Shannon talked about. All of that good juicy stuff, join us. Our website is winweightloss.com. That's W-Y-N weightloss.com. And I have a great blog there with lots and lots of articles to inspire you. And we also have a a wonderful community, uh, a platform called Mighty Networks. And you can join us there. Uh, Those links will be in the show notes. And you can check out our love challenge, which is there for you at any time you want to start up learning how to practice self-love on a day-to-day basis. This is, again, another practice. Uh, It's totally free. So check that out. Check out, go to Mighty Networks and check out the Love Challenge and, and be part of our community. Get that community support and engagement that we talked about. So important for our health. So thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful day. 